0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. One of the huge themes in the book is, is the theme of blessing. Uh, In fact, the word "bless" is used 21 times, blessed is used 37 times, and blessing 18 times. So in the book of Genesis, the concept or idea of blessing, just the word actually, is used 76 times. And there's a lot of references to blessing that actually aren't uh, the exact word. So really, it's it's huge in the book of Genesis. What's interesting, out of those 76 times, 15 times are used in these two chapters. So blessing is a huge theme. Uh, and to just recap, and the, the author wants us as we look at the end of the book to reflect back to the beginning. And when you think back to Genesis chapter 1, uh, God's creating the world and, and everything he creates is good, right? And at the end he creates uh, man. He says in, in chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals, all the small animals spring along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Then God blessed them. Okay, so at the very first instance of creation, when God made Adam and Eve, the very first thing he does after creating them is he blesses them. And in fact, when you move on to chapter 2, and he describes the, the garden and all that's going on in the Garden of Eden, it's clearly a description of God's blessing. And the, the garden is intended to be a place where Adam and Eve would live in the presence of God and experience the fullness of all his blessing. Uh, so that's the blessing of creation. And that dominates the first 11 chapters. And, of course, the fall discusses how that blessing was lost and how it was largely damaged and wrecked. Uh, but in chapter 12, God calls out Abraham with a, a, a new era of blessing. And this time, uh, beyond blessing through creation, God blesses through covenant. Right, And he enters into a covenant promise with, with Abraham, and he says, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. He says, I will bless you. So again, the next major move in the whole book of Genesis is the covenant promised to Abraham, and the main point of it is what? Blessing. Right? He says, "I will bless you," and all that happens to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the unfolding of those promises is God's blessing, right? And how He intends to do that. And in these last three chapters, we come to the, the setting where Jacob is on his deathbed and he's about to die, and he. Uh, blesses his sons, and he passes on this blessing, this promise of God, uh, to uh, to his sons. Uh, as I said, the term is used 15 times, and this really is just this avalanche of blessing, both as Jacob recounts how God has blessed him and how God has been faithful to that promise, and how Jacob sees uh, God continuing that blessing as the nation of Israel grows and as the twelve tribes move from twelve guys to twelve tribes. And that's a lot of what happens in these two chapters. And I would like to put forward this morning a prosperity gospel. Okay? Oh, I got so that's good. I was hoping we'd get some reaction. Yeah. Um, when you look through and when you come away from these two chapters, it would be a very easy way to come away with this sense of a prosperity gospel. Meaning that it's God's purpose to prosper us, right? Um, and I believe that actually we should come away with that sense, right? I, I believe that Genesis lays a foundation that God's, God's plan, God's design and purpose is to prosper you beyond what you can imagine. And we have to have a deep conviction and sense of God's character and nature as one who loves to bless that's that's the nature of what God is. God is a is a blessing God. He is a generous God, extremely generous. Okay, He's so generous that He makes Santa Claus look like Scrooge. Right? He's generous. He abundantly generous, uh, abundantly overflowing in blessing. And see, uh, the the real problem with the the modern prosperity gospel teaching. Okay, the the error of what I believe is the error of of modern prosperity, health and wealth preaching is not that it that it makes God generous and not that it makes us the recipients of abundant blessing and prosperity. The problem is that it doesn't go far enough, okay The problem is that the prosperity gospel makes too little of what God's blessing is right and it it does that by by uh, failing to see the full nature of what it means for God to bless us. See, the problem with the prosperity gospel is that it reduces God's amazing riches and grace and kindness to materialism and consumerism. That's the problem. It's not really blessing. Okay, There's nothing... And, and, and when we see... We measure God's blessing simply in terms of how fancy our house is and if we have the latest iPod, we have no clue what blessing is. And that's really the problem with the modern-day version of prosperity gospel. Not that it overdoes God's generosity. It underdoes it. And it reduces God's blessing uh, to something very trivial and empty. And in fact, it, uh, I think, turns um, God's blessing into idolatry because we, we want the gifts and we miss the whole point of what God's blessing is. Uh, but that's not true as it's pointed as it's spelled out in Genesis, and especially Genesis 48 and 49. So let's look at this question. What is the blessing of God then? Okay. Is it material? Is it not material? Is it beyond material? What, what, is, what, is, what do the patriarchs have in mind when they think about God's blessing? And it ought to be something that we ought to be uh, all about because we as, as his children are recipients of his fullest blessing. Okay. Anybody here want to be blessed this morning? Okay, most of you don't want to be blessed. Uh, well, we'll fix that today. When you're done, I hope you want to be blessed. Um, so it starts off in verse 48, and uh, of course, Jacob and family have moved to Egypt. Uh, Jacob has been in Egypt now for about 17 years. His health is failing. He's, he's really on his deathbed for real this time. He's been on his deathbed now for about 37 years. But this time, you know, it's actually looking more like the real end is near. And so it says, One day a uh, word came to Joseph, Your father is failing rapidly. So Joseph went to his father to visit him, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Joseph arrived, Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to see you. So Jacob gathered his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Okay, there's the word. Um, he said to me, I will make you fruitful. I will multiply your descendants. I will make you a multitude of nations. And I will give this land of Canaan to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now I am claiming as my own sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons, but uh, just as Reuben and Simeon are, but any children born to you in the future will be your own, and they will inherit land within the territories of their brothers, Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, so this deathbed scene. Joseph comes to visit uh, from his palace. Uh, Jacob receives him, and I love this picture. He's, he's on his death, but he's not feeling well. His, uh, his sight is failing. But it says that he pulls himself together. He musters up his energy. And the reason he musters up his energy is that Jacob is longing to bless his sons. And if you look back over Jacob's career, Jacob's life has been all about the blessing. fact, like when he was a young man, uh, he, he connived and schemed and plotted to steal the blessing. Okay? The blessing was maybe a bit too important to him. Uh, rightly important, just the wrong w- means of achieving it, Right steals the blessing, lies to his father. Uh, he's a guy who's been all about getting the blessing, getting the promise. And now he's on his deathbed, just as his father Isaac was. And it's his turn to dispense the blessing. And he's excited about it. Okay? This is something that means a great deal to him. So he musters himself up. And he is excited to, to send forth God's blessing of what he has received. And he f- casts it or he frames it in light of, of what he has received. Uh, one of the things that's significant about blessing is that you cannot bless, pass on to others what you have not yourself received. One of the reasons you ought to be desirous, eager for God's blessing, is you can't give to somebody else what you don't have. The more you are blessed by God, the more equipped and suited you are to be a blessing to the world around you. And that's what God promised Abraham. He said, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to the nations of the world. Right? So it's important that we are fully blessed so that we can bless others. And that's where Jacob is, and he starts there. He says, I've been blessed by God, and he's made these promises, and he's fulfilling them. And it is that blessing that I now pass on to you, my sons. Uh, And he really speaks of the first character or nature of blessing, being the blessing of fruitful abundance. He says, God has blessed me. He promised me he would make me fruitful and multiply. Uh, what, what is God's blessing in our life? First thing, and, and probably most significantly, God's blessing is his, is a fruitful life. Right? You measure, fruit, uh, measure blessing in your own life by measuring the degree to which your life is fruitful. Well, what does that mean? Well, in, in Genesis, it's meant a couple things. Uh, he says to me, I will make you fruitful. I will multiply your descendants I will make you a multitude of nations, and I will give you this land of Canaan uh, for your descendants as an everlasting home. Right? Um, first of all, it, it's cast in, in Genesis in terms of offspring, uh, abundant crops, cattle, possessions, and land. Right? See, that's, that's my prosperity gospel. There it is. <laughs> well, before we jump too far ahead and make too much of that, uh, what, what is that all about? that God's going to give them a land where they can be productive in agriculture. And, and throughout uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's lives, this was modeled well, right? They all became possessors of vast herds of flock, of servants, of of material wealth. What is that about? Well, ultimately, it really is the prom- fruit, fruitfulness is the promise of abundant provision for daily needs. Right? Uh, it doesn't mean, you know, like you have... You have the best iPad. You, know, you have an old one, maybe, if that's a true need in your life. Um, but it means that God, God meets our needs. Right? God, pro- God promised uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised the nation of Israel that he would provide for their needs. Right? And part of what it means to be fruitful is to have a life that is fully sustained, uh, that's taken care of by God himself. Right? And that is God's blessing. Uh, He promises promises to meet our needs. And it's not only an an Old Testament promise to Israel, but it is a New Testament promise to us as well. Uh, Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and what? All these things, being material needs, he's described in the passage before, clothing, food, shelter, all these things, these daily necessities of life, will be given to you. Uh, God promises to sustain us, to take care of us, to meet our needs, day-by-day needs. Um, God wants to take care of you, and that's part of his blessing. Uh, We are not called to be necessarily self-sustaining. Now, of course, the Bible teaches we have to work, we have to take care of ourselves, but ultimately, we should be relying on God as the one who sustains us, who takes care of us, who meets our daily needs. That is his blessing of fruitfulness. Um, I'm sure many of you have I hope many of you have all of you have experiences of god god's faithful and often miraculous provision in your life. Anybody have experiences like that where God has just taken care when when you did not expect it this i had I had that gift this past week um, i went to had to go to immigration, my favorite place in the whole world, <laughs> get in line for all morning uh, to get a reentry permit and I needed Denise and I both, so we needed 2,000 baht. Well, I didn't have any money, no money in the bank. Completely zeroed out, you know. So I go, oh, what am I going to do? I need 2,000 baht. Not a huge amount, but, you know, it's, it's just too much to worry about, like, robbing the bank. And you don't rob the bank for 2,000 baht. It's too much effort. <laughs> so, so, anyway, the, the morning of going down there, I get this email from the states that said uh, my credit card had put $109 in my bank account. Because of some, I don't know, I didn't even understand it. For some reason, they just did. I didn't ask questions, I just took the money. (laughs) Right? God provided. Now you provided for the reentry permit and lunch. It's perfect. Uh, God wants to take care of us, and that's part of what it means to be fruitful. But beyond that, it also has a sense, he says, you know, he thinks about multiplying descendants, uh, making you multitude of nations. Uh, there's a sense of multiplying. And fruitfulness is also a life that produces something in, in, in multiplication terms, right? A life that is abundantly significant or successful. Uh, in his day, in their day, it meant possessing the land and becoming successful inhabitants of the land. Uh, for us, it goes really beyond that. and uh, But the principles are the same. For us, life to be fruitful, to be blessed with fruitfulness, means that we are multiplying ourselves. It means that we are producing spiritual offspring. It means that we are seeing fruit of our ministry, fruit of our walk with Christ in terms of godly character formed within us, the fruit of the Spirit, and in terms of spiritual uh, produce through our life, that somehow we're making an eternal impact in the lives of other people. Uh, whether through evangelism, through discipleship, through mentoring, uh, through teaching, through encouraging, through equipping others. We are multiplying the blessing of God in our life in many other people. And that's what ministry is. And God calls every person to this. In fact, uh, again, Jesus' words in John fifteen sixteen he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. It's the calling of every single believer, Every single child of God to, to have spiritual fruit, to have a life that bears spiritual fruit. He says, that's why I chose you. I appointed you. I sent you out to bear fruit in your life, whatever that looks like uh, for, for God's calling on your life. Um, and it's interesting, when you look at John 15, it's the whole passage of, of Jesus and the vine and the branches. Uh, the, the, the passage starts out with Jesus making this great declaration uh, you are the vine. You're the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. Uh, he who abides in me will bear much fruit. Uh, what I love about that passage is that it, con- it connects these two thoughts. When we are abiding in Christ, when we are deeply connected to Jesus, he becomes what? Well, he becomes the sustainer of our life. That's what the picture of the vine is. The vine brings up the nutrients and food, and the, it sustains life for the branch. So he provides and supplies all that we need to live. And as he does that, as we abide in him and he takes care of our needs, emotionally, physically, spiritually, uh, socially, at every level, as he becomes the supply and sustainer of that, what happens in our life? Well, we become fruitful. We bear fruit. We produce something out of our life. And not just one tiny little grape, uh, abundantly fruitful, multiplying ourselves over, right? Um, so, so an incredibly blessed life is, is a life that bears fruit. Right? And here, here's here's the amazing thing, uh, you know, the world is convinced that it will find significance and meaning and purpose through consumerism and materialism. Again, that's the flaw, the error of the prosperity gospel is they think we're going to find happiness and joy when we have the fancy new car and uh, you know we got the fancy jet airplane, and instead of you know f- instead of going to India and Staying in a little rundown place and doing ministry, we're going to stay in Dubai and fly back and forth to India and have crusades. I won't name the person that did that, but true story. Uh, okay, there's a sense that if I have all that stuff, it's going to make me happy, but it won't. Things can never give you meaning or significance. Right? Fancy house, <clears throat> a fancy car, fancy clothes, the latest toys and gadgets. Okay can never give you a sense of significance and purpose and meaning. The only thing that gives us a sense of significance, purpose, and meaning is what? A fruitful life, right? When we have a life that's making an impact in eternity, that's significant. If you through your life somehow bring a person to Christ or turn a person away from sin or encourage a person in their faith and the path and course of their life changes for eternity... Your life just got really significant. Right. Really significant. And you became uh, a, a person of worth, of, of importance, in God's eternal thread of history. Right. That's pretty significant. Right. Pretty significant. And who knows how that will multiply itself? Who knows the person that you touch, how their life may touch somebody else's life and somebody else's life, and three generations from now, Maybe 200 years from now, some great evangelist, somebody who has a significant work, uh, is the fruit of your small faithful efforts of raising your children in Christ and being faithful to what God calls you to. Uh, that is a blessing. Uh, and I pray that all of us experience the, the blessing of a fruitful life. Uh Jacob goes on from there, and he, um, he says to, to Joseph, these sons of yours are now mine. <laughs> okay? And in uh, the next section, he adopts Ephraim and Manasseh as his sons. He said, um, uh, Jacob says, bring them near. And as he does, uh, because he was blind, because of old age, Joseph brings the boys close. And uh, Joseph moved the boys who were at their grandfather's knees. He bowed with his face to the ground. Then he positioned the two boys in front of Jacob with his right hand. He directed Ephraim towards Jacob's left. And with his left, he put Manasseh's right hand. So Joseph is trying to do some some uh, choreography here. And he sets his sons up because Joseph knows what's coming. Okay, This is kind of a, an expectation. He knows that Jacob is going to bless and and adopt his sons. And so he arranges his sons so that the oldest will be on Jacob's right, and the youngest will be on his left, because that's significant, right? Um, and then uh, Jacob reaches out his hand, and he put his right hand on Ephraim, even though he was younger, and he put his left hand on Manasseh, right? So he crosses his hands, right? And it says, and he, and, and he blessed Joseph, Uh, He blesses Abraham and Nessa, Through that, he blesses Joseph. He says, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham, my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac. May their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. Uh, Joseph kind of has a panic attack, gets upset, screams at his father, uh, but the point of all this is that J- uh, Jacob adopts Ephraim and Manasseh as sons. Uh, what is that all about? Why is that important? Well, we don't really know all the reasons why, but the two clues in the text are these. First of all, it, it makes a point to, to to note that Ephraim and Manasseh were born in Egypt. Right? And uh, it could, could well be that maybe Joseph's brothers <coughs> were... Uh, and all the rest of the family may not have looked quite the same at Ephraim and Manasseh. Even though they were Joseph's sons, in some sense, they were not kind of part of the family. They were born in another land. They were born not only in another land, but they were born at a whole other socioeconomic status. They were born in the palace. They're, they're, they could easily be perceived and seen as part of Pharaoh's family. Well, Jacob wants to make it very clear that Joseph's sons have full right as heirs and descendants of Jacob. And so he adopts them. And he says, "I, by this, he says, I make them my own sons. They will be just like Reuben and Simeon, first and second born sons. So he moves them to the top of the pyramid, top of the food chain. Okay, They get full right as sons, full right and authority as sons. Um, and the significance in all this is that uh, the right of blessing, especially when we think in terms of receiving blessing from God, is always a blessing of sonship, of kinship and adoption. Right? Our blessing, our blessed status and relationship with God is based on our, uh, our place as His children. Okay, it's really important to understand that. And a little later we'll talk more. But the, uh, the blessing that we receive from God is we receive from God as a father. And to put this in perspective, imagine uh, yourself as a son or as a daughter of somebody who 's quite wealthy with a large holding of land and estates, and you know pick whoever you want that you know that's wealthy, Bill Gates or whoever i don 't care uh, as a, as a child uh, who 's in good relationship with your father, what do you expect to get out of that deal? Do you hope that when your father is on his deathbed and about to pass away, he sends you a card and said you know it 's been great having you as my son." But from here on out, you're on your own. And you know, there's like a $10 bill in there, You know, the little birthday card, $10. This is your gift, right? How would you feel about that? Man, my dad's generous. Ten bucks, right? No, you'd be angry, right? Because there is what? there's a sense of right as a, as a child. To what? Well, to the full estate of your father, to have some share in the whole thing. And especially the more wealthy he is, the, the greater the share would be. Well, Jesus says this of us. He says in, in John 1, To all who receive Christ, to all who believe in his name, he gave what? The right to become the children of God, to be called the children of God. Right? In Christ, you are adopted into full sonship. Uh, Romans 8 says it this way, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then what? Then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So, so here's the deal. Uh, the blessing is not social welf- welfare blessing. Okay, now, now, if you're not related to Bill Gates uh, and you want something from him and you go and you fill out the application to get from some foundation, some charitable trust, and you get a letter back and you get ten bucks, now, you might be thankful, you know. Maybe you get a hundred bucks. I Maybe mean, you get a thousand bucks, you know. You're thankful, right? Uh, because what what right do you have to him? None, right? So anything that he gives is, is, is generous, it's kind. But it's not, not a right. But Scripture doesn't put it in those terms. He says, in Christ you have a right to be called the children of God and you are heirs with Christ. Okay? So we have what? We have full right to the fullness of everything that God has. That's a pretty significant blessing. And it really is the basis of what it means (coughs) for us to be blessed. Our our blessedness is cast in light of our father-child relationship with God. Uh, And really, that is a lot of what the blessing is. The blessing is that we get to have God as our Father. Uh, And in Scripture... And you see this especially with Jacob and Joseph, a, a father who loves his son. Maybe too much to the exclusion of the other brothers, but who loves his son, who cherishes his son. And it is at it is a small scale a picture of the father's love for us. He loves and cherishes us deeply. He longs to bless the socks off of you, right? Um. So that's the whole thing of adoption, and uh, and he makes Ephraim and Manasseh equal tribes, uh, and and the blessing that he gives to all the sons now become they become equal shares in uh, the second. So the first first reason uh, because they were born in Egypt. Second reason, he he mentions the death of Rachel, uh, and it's also a way for him to expand Rachel's descendants by by making uh, Joseph's sons heirs. And now, now Rachel can go from two to three on the on the charts. Okay, it was important to, to Jacob. It was important to bless his, and honor his wife that way. Um, the same way God's heart is to is to is to make us His children and partakers of that in, eternal inheritance. Um, from there, the chapter moves over to chapter forty-nine. The story ends. He he. Uh, he, he includes Ephraim and Manasseh, and then he turns uh, and he calls all of his sons to him, and he blesses uh, the, the 12 sons, uh, the 12 tribes. And we're not going to go through all of these. Uh, it's, it, it's a lot of blessing, <laughs> a lot of blessing. But let me just summarize a few uh, key points here. The first, the first one would be that, uh, the principle that, that it's really a blessing of grace, and it's interesting, the, the list of sons starts off with the three oldest sons, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Okay? Uh, now just to put this in context, in case you're confused, it, it is a blessing. And we know it's a blessing because he says so in verse 28. He said, these are the 12 tribes. So in here he's not just blessing the sons, but he's really blessing the offspring that will come from them. He's blessing the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said as he, as he told his sons Goodbye. He blessed each one. Okay, so he blessed each one with an appropriate message. Uh, and it, so to be clear, God uh, G- Jacob, by God's hand, blesses all twelve tribes as, as heirs, as recipients of the full promise of God, of the promised land, of descendants, of everything that went with the promise, right? But when you read the first, first three, okay, it might be a little confusing. You may not get the blessing part. Listen to this. Reuben you are my firstborn son, my strength, the child of my vigorous youth. You are first in rank and first in power. I can see Reuben going, yeah, that's me, right? But you are, uh, un- are as unruly as a flood, and you will be first no longer. Ooh, demoted. Okay? For you went to bed with my wife, you defiled my marriage couch. Ooh, right in front of God and everybody, right? Uh, he gets demoted. Right? He is, he's disqualified as firstborn son. From there he goes to Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi, you, two, you are two of a kind. Weapons, uh, their weapons are instruments of violence. May I never join in their meetings. May I never be a party to their plans. For in their anger they murdered men and they crippled oxen just for sport. A curse on their anger, for it is fierce. And a curse on their wrath, for it is cruel. I will scatter them among the descendants of Jacob. I will disperse them throughout Israel. Okay, now if you're one of those three guys, you're going, this isn't sounding a lot like blessing. right? Um, uh, and Jacob remembered their their horrible sin, and what 's significant about these twelve blessings as, as as Jacob goes through a lot of it has to do with the character and nature of the of the sons as they were, uh, but it also gets projected upon the future and and it's all it all comes out, and it really depicts what the twelve tribes will experience between the entry into Canaan and the Davidic kingdom. And uh, we don't have time to go through how it's all fulfilled, but it is fulfilled perfectly. And indeed, Simeon never had a possession of land. Indeed, Reuben became a very insignificant tribe and eventually was absorbed by the other tribes. Levi became, uh, of course, the Levites, the the priesthood, uh, never became possessors of the land. Uh, But here's the deal. They were still in, okay, they were in They were in with not the greatest record, okay? They were in with not a lot of glory. They were in with nobody really going, Yay, Reuben, thanks for being our stellar older brother, right? But they were still recipients of the promise, right? When you look down through the list, uh, you know, they all were guilty of sell, selling Joseph into slavery. They all were sinful guys, right? But... The promise, the blessing was not based on their conduct. It was not based on how good they were. It was based on what? The goodness of God, right? The goodness of God. And they received the blessing, even though they could very easily have disqualified themselves, right? That's the point. says, you know, really, you guys have disqualified yourself from the blessing. But you know what? You're still in. Uh, praise God. What a great picture of God's grace. Uh, have we disqualified ourselves from the blessing? Absolutely, right? absolutely. We have disqualified ourselves. We have discredited. We have shamed the Father. And the two the, the two categories of sins of these three sons was lust, okay, the passion of their their flesh, and the heated passion of their anger, both rooted with both with all three of these guys in pride. Right? Uh, who of us has not experienced you know pride? anger, passion, lust. Those are the things that disqualify us from being recipients. But it's not about us. It's about God's goodness and His grace. But along with that, it's clear that even though they were in, they were in by grace, they were recipients of the promise, they were blessed. But it's also true that for these guys, the blessing was diminished. Uh, and, And in this whole passage, the one kind of negative note in it is this. God, by His grace, wants to bless you. But the truth is, you can diminish the effectiveness of God's blessing in your life through sin, right? through walking uh, away from God's truth and His instructions. Uh, you know, God has given His commands, His instructions. And for a lot of us, uh, and I'm one of these, I, I don't like laws. I don't like rules. I, I don't like... God or anybody else really putting those constraints on me, right? Uh, And it's easy to look at those things in some kind of a yoke or harness that just keeps us from enjoying life. But to see it that way is to miss the point of God's law. God's law is given primarily to keep us moving towards the direction of blessing. All God's commands and instructions are designed to move us in the path toward his blessing. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Back in the days when I coached track, um, uh, you know, teaching kids to run fast was easy. Teaching them to run smart was not always as easy. And sometimes you could run fast, but if you don't run smart, you don't do well. And one of the races where this was most evident is the 800-meter run. 800 I meters, mean, two laps around the track, right? And uh, the, the danger, the mistake that a lot of guys make running that race is they run the first lap way too fast, and then they die. <laughs> and then they crawl the second lap. So I had one particular runner who I uh, it was a young freshman, and he had tons of potential. He really could have been a very good runner. He knew how to run fast, but he just could not run smart. And I would tell him every time, i say, okay, look, you've got to just go really easy on the first lap. Just go really slow. I don't care if you're the last person in the pack at the end of the first lap. Run slow the first lap. Then, the second lap, just unload. Give it everything you got on the second lap. It's pretty easy. Those are my instructions. So the gun goes off, and he takes off. I mean, out of the blocks. Look at this, but he's off, right? And he moves to the front of the pack, and he dashes halfway around the 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 track, and he's leaving the pack in the dust, right? Gets around at the end of the first lap, and he has won the first lap. Yay, go, right? And then one by one, you know, the runners start to catch him. Every one of them. Every one of them. And he goes from blazing fast to crawling around the last half of the last lap. And uh, every race, he ends up in dead last place. Right? And I'd say to him, you know, what are you thinking? Don't do that. Don't you see? It doesn't work. It doesn't count if you win the first lap. You've got to win the second lap. Right, the glory, the prize, the reward, the joy, is beating everybody the second time around the track. He never got it. He just never got it. He could not follow that simple instruction. Now was I giving him that instruction to make his life miserable? Was I giving him commands and you know trying to tell him what to do because I just wanted to squelch all the fun? No. I wanted him to experience the joy of winning, and he could have. He could have been a very good runner. He could easily have won a number of those events. But because he couldn't follow instructions, he missed the blessing. That's how it is with God. God has given us his instructions because he wants us to get to the finish line victoriously so we can experience the joy and blessing of what he has for us. Uh, That's walking in grace and not disqualifying or diminishing the prize as Reuben, Simeon, and Levi did. (coughs) Uh, Next, we'll we'll jump to Judah. Uh, Jacob, uh, blind in his physical eyes but with spiritual eyes, declares, Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating his prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. And uh, Jacob announces fully and clearly uh, Judah's role as the, as the tribe of kings. Uh, and in this, some great prophetic uh, 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 indications of the Messiah, of a messianic ruler, a king who would come, from whom the scepter would never depart, who would rule through all eternity, and, and through whom all nations would come and bow. Uh, and the first uh, really detailed, specific, clear prophecy of, of of Jesus being the the Lion of Judah, right? and that indicating that indeed the world would be blessed through a kingdom, but ultimately an eternal kingdom, where God's own Son, the Messiah, would serve as king. And, of course, we know about that. We'll kind of leave that at that. Um, He goes on and he blesses the the lesser brothers. Don't get a lot of uh, attention, lines here and there. We won't go into all of them. But but let me just highlight one thing real quick. Verse 18. Okay, he blesses Zebulun. He blesses Issachar. He blesses uh, Dan. Uh, He talks about where they'll live. And, by the way, if you want, there's some great information on how these prophecies uh, explain where they would live in the promised land, he gives clues and hints into what kind of tribes they would be. Uh, but in the midst of all that, he says, he cries out in verse 18, I trust in you for salvation, Lord. Seems kind of random. Blessing this son, blessing this son. All of a sudden he goes, God, I trust in you for salvation. What is that about? Well, as you look through these sons, and he goes on from there, Asher and Naphtali. Uh, it 's clear that life is not going to god 's going to send them to the promised land he 's going to give them that land, but it 's not going to be easy there are going to be enemies there 's going to be opposition there, there are going to be defeats right? and I think in, in jacob 's mind, he all of a sudden sees the future and he sees the reality clearly of what it 's going to be for them to be in the promised land and it 's not going to be all a picnic right it 's not going to be all a bed of roses easy smooth sailing it 's definitely not going to be a prosperity gospel where they 're all driving fancy cars and fancy houses and you know and it 's easy. he sees opposition, he sees nations crushing him, trying to overrun them. He says, God, you must save us, right you must save us, God be our salvation. Um, he said it again in, in chapter. 48, verse 16, he says, The angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. Uh, Jacob understood that blessing ultimately is a matter of God's salvation in our life. We need saving. And indeed, what, what blessing could compare to God's salvation? Last one is this. Let me cover real briefly. The blessing of God's shepherding presence. Uh, he finally ends with the, the blessing of Joseph. Uh, he described it as a wild donkey. Uh, he says, archers attacked him savagely. They shot at and harassed him, but his bow remained tight. His arms were strengthened. And his arms were strengthened by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the shepherd, the rock of Israel. May God your father bless you and help you. May the Almighty bless you. Uh, earlier in chapter 48, he had used some very similar language when he blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. He said... May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and Isaac walked, in other words, God was behind him and they walked in front of him, the God who has been my shepherd all my life uh, to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from harm, may he bless these boys. Um, the blessing of God as our shepherd. Um, you know, Psalm, uh, psalm 23, great, great psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, the blessing of experiencing God walking with us, guiding us. Uh, and we could talk a lot about that. I'll just say, just leave it at that. His blessing as a shepherd. Right? His blessing as a shepherd, guiding and leading us. Um, he, he ends with this cascade of blessing words on Joseph. May, may the God of your father help you May the Almighty bless you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the watery depths below, blessings of the breast and womb. May the blessings of your Father surpass the blessings of the ancient mountains. In other words, he says, Joseph, may you be even more blessed than I was, as I was blessed even more than my fathers before me. Uh, Reaching to the heights of the eternal hills, may these blessings rest on the head of Joseph, who is prince among his brothers. This just a cascade of blessing words, right? Um, do you want to be blessed? You know, no one has to raise your hand this time, but do you want to know God's blessing? It, it, and let me ask you another way. Is God's blessing something that's optional in the life of a believer? Is it something that's just kind of a, a nicety that, well, you know, if we could get blessed a bit more, it'd be, it'd be nice, Or is it essential to what it means to live the life of faith? I believe it's essential to what it means to live the life of faith. And as you look through this, the bottom line is, the blessing ultimately is God himself. Right? It's not what he gives to us. It's not the gifts. It ultimately is the giver himself. God wants to give us himself. And he wants to give us all of himself. Uh, I mean, I love John, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His Son. He gave us Himself. From Genesis to Revelation, you see God continually giving Himself to us. Uh, throughout Genesis, one of the themes has been the, God's daily constant abiding presence. And He promised it over and over. He would be with them. He says it in this passage twice. I will be with you. God will be with you, Joseph. God wants to give us all of himself. Uh, And he wants to give with himself all that he possesses. Now you may be saying, you know, well, it's all great and wonderful, but I honestly don't feel very blessed. And actually, the prosperity gospel sounds pretty good to me right now. Because my car is broke, my house is falling apart, I don't have enough support. Uh, You know, everybody feel like that? Maybe you don't feel very blessed. And you go, you know, if God wants to bless me so much, I have some ideas, right? I have some suggestions. I'll write a prayer letter and send it to him, right? Um, you ever feel like that? Uh, maybe you feel like that now. And here's the thing. You know, the ultimate gift of God, the thing he wants most to give is himself. Uh, and the problem is that far too often he, he, he can never give a gift that we will love more than him he cause all kinds of problems for God if He gives us things and we fall in love with the thing and lose sight of him right? because then what he's done is he's given us an idol right? And to the degree that we love things, to the degree that our affectionate heart goes towards the things of this world, uh, to the things that mean more to us than he ever does, well those become a problem for God because in the end that's not a gift. It's not a blessing. The reality is prosperity gospel is not a blessing if we love those things far more than we love God. God wants to give us Himself. And so He will give us all that we need to bring and draw uh, draw more of us to all of Him. God will give us everything we need to draw more of us, more of our life to all of Him. Which means sometimes the greatest gift He can give us is to take everything away is to give us the gift of hardship and suffering, okay? Because we're stubborn and bullheaded, and oftentimes we so love the things of this world, we so believe the lies of Satan, we so let our lust and anger and pride dominate our life, that we become consumed with material things, and we don't really long for and seek and desire God's presence. It is no place to be gringai, okay? The problem is, you know, we think, oh, I don't want to impose on God. We're like way too tight, you know, and we're grain jai. don't want God to kind of put himself out. <laughs> like God could put himself out. He owns everything. You know, it's like... And, and, and it, it, it goes against the nature of the blessed relationship. A father, okay? Can your father ever give you too much? Can your father ever overdo it? Well, since by right... His inheritance is ours. He can't. There's no such thing, right? Um, it's never a matter of moderation. He should never seek to moderate God's blessing. Uh, you should want more of it because God wants to give us all of himself. All of himself. Right? Have, have, have we got all of him yet? A oh, long ways to go. Because I'm a really tiny cup, but he's a really big God. Right? Uh Paul says this over and over, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Why? Well, two reasons. One, it's the only way we can be a true blessing to others. If we believe God's going to be stingy with us, we will in turn be stingy with others. The only way to let God's love flow abundantly through us is to let His love flow abundantly into us. And lastly, it's the only true basis of praise and worship the only reason you have to worship God is because you have experienced His blessing. If you have not experienced His blessing, why do you worship Him? Okay, It becomes kind of an empty, hollow exercise in doing something you're supposed to do. But when you have been blessed abundantly, worship becomes a, uh, a compelling act that we must do. Right? Our worship, I believe our worship will be, our true worship... Will be in proportion to the blessing. Those who worship much are blessed much, right? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.